This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 149 with Steve Gamblin. I always pride myself on never getting sick. I hold myself to a different standard whenever I say that, and the joke is on me. It's kind of like when I also held myself to this other standard about not getting jury duty, and I said that three times too quickly, and sure enough, I was summoned. The same thing has happened to me with getting sick, so I am behind. This is late to you. It's it's been a bit. And I have been asleep for days straight, literally never been as sick as I've been um, recently within this last week. The only thing that has gotten me better, I won't say to do this at home, don't try this at home, but maybe if you have to ever try this, I found an expired by years Z-Pack since I couldn't get one from a doctor and I couldn't get to my doctor's and he was gone on Friday. So I just went for it because I was feeling that ill. And now I think I'm getting better. So while I'm not in favor of staying in relationships past their expiration date, when it comes to medicine, sometimes you have to take what's expired to keep yourself well. While I am excited about this episode, I was actually holding on to it for Valentine's Day because Steve's story is also a love story. Stay tuned for that. I'm just going to get into the episode because my throat really can't handle all this, but thank you for hanging in there with us and for being here. I hope that you are celebrating the love that you have had in your life, even if you're currently single. Don't fool yourself into thinking that just because you're not in a romantic relationship, that you don't have so many reasons to feel loved and to see love in your life. Just remember that even if you're single now, you are in a dynamic where everything you're doing today, tomorrow, is setting you up for a potential future with someone else. So make sure you think about who you are becoming as you close in on the one. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Sure thing. My name is Steve Gamblin. I'm known as the Motivational Firewood Guy, and my goal is to be the most real, genuine, authentic, true-to-life human being that there is. So it is wonderful to be here. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you. So you were just saying that you would relive it all over again. You would endure it all over again. I would. Had I known back in the days of my heartbreak and, of course, rising from, that I would be this happy. I'm just about to turn at the time of this broadcast, 52 years old. And I would go through and endure it all over again. If I knew this much happiness was on the other side, with all the work, of course, that came with creating it, most definitely I'd go through it again. And 
I don't want to be 90 years old sitting on the front porch saying, I wish I'd taken the time and made the effort to take all the bad stuff, like the song, Hey Jude, take a sad song and make it better. It's really up to each of us. I remember it hitting me at some point, like if I knew that I could make myself this happy, I would have left long ago. Mm. We always underestimate how we can do it on our own, that like we can put the work in, but that we can also make ourselves feel so good. Yeah. Well, look at a garden, look at some of the most beautiful flowers out there. And you ask people, you're such a craftsperson. You create these most amazing, beautiful things. How do you do it? And they say, well, you put the right fertilizer on it and you're stopping to think about it. What is fertilizer? It doesn't smell good. Mm-hmm. It's not pretty. You don't want to step in it. But yet the bad stuff can create the most beautiful stuff. So sometimes you have to go through periods of your life that are just kind of the fertilizer gets dumped on you a little bit through your decisions or whatever. But something beautiful can come out of it if you don't let that define who you are at your core. You have the perspective. Like if someone was able to be like, this is the fertilizer years, that would, I feel like, keep them going. But I feel like not enough of us when we're in it think that this is just a period of time, that this is just like gearing us up for the next great level. Somehow we don't have that perspective. I think that we become really impatient and very afraid of moments when we don't feel like we're at our best. Yeah. And sometimes we feel that that's the living definition of us. Well, I must have deserved this or I earned this or, well, I guess this is what I was programmed to to live through and live with. And yes, sometimes it is hard to see the other side of that and to see something better because sometimes we get beaten down by it and we let ourselves get defined by it when it's, you know, it's not written in ink. It's just kind of written in pencil. You just got to erase parts of it and draw it, draw it a little better. I'm so excited to be talking to a man that considers himself the hero because like, that's how I always was in my relationship. So I have to hear from you. Yeah. You know, there's so many women. It's like the, what is it? Like the princess story about being saved. Mm. And you never really hear from the guy that's the savior and like that you would want to be that person. Talk to me about why, how, when you became the hero. I wouldn't say a hero, but I, I never want to play that role, but I would never define myself as the hero. I always felt bad for women that were maybe in bad relationships or just kept picking the jerks because I was always a nice guy. I was just raised to be a, a gentleman and just be a nice person. So I always found myself attracted to women that I thought were with really bad guys and just tried to, you know, they'd get dumped for the hundredth time. And then I'd try to date them thinking I can make her life better and happier. And I thought that just me being a nice guy was a help to her. Sometimes it was, sometimes it didn't last, and sometimes it lasted just long enough for her to like the jerk again. Mm. And I'd get mad and frustrated and, and say, well, what am I doing wrong? Well, maybe nothing. It's just her. And repeated that actually in a few relationships back in my late teens, early 20s. I used to get mad saying, why do all the jerks seem to be so attractive and I could just never, I could never be one of them. No, thank God. Raise that thank way. God you didn't change. Similarly, like I would be with men that, let's just say that they had never really been emotionally connected to the women in their life. So they never really felt like maybe it was like lustful relationships, but never love. And I always wanted to be the person that broke them open or showed them that side. Or I was with really quiet men. So I realized like I was always just hearing myself, which was effective in a way. I realized like, you know, what is my voice? I remember thinking like, God, this is such ego-based relationships. It was so much of my ego. 
to try to be the person that came along and like shook someone awake. And at a certain point, I was like, you know what? I want to meet someone that has been living their life to match where I'm at. Not that I'm like the great savior that comes along and turns their life around. Mm. Did you ever have one of those moments? I mean, when you talk about it, it seems like it was so well-intentioned. But did you ever feel like, Maybe I'm avoiding something. Like maybe I'm I'm focusing too much on on saving or on that part of it that it's almost it's self serving. I think a lot of it for me is I didn't feel like I deserved anything better. At one point, it finally got to that. I said, well, okay, there goes another one. Let me go find somebody else to rescue. Maybe in a way, I didn't feel I deserved uh, an equal partnership right. relationship or deserved the love. And I went through my divorce in around 2003, the end of my first marriage. And I literally spent a year to two years not dating yeah. and not even wanting a relationship. And I did a lot of reading, introspection. And I said, look, I'm tired of this pattern because this pattern is not serving me. It just makes it worse each time. And I said, this is the person I want to be to attract the perfect partner that I'm looking for. This is the partner I'm looking for. This is who I need to be to recognize her when she shows up. And I did a lot of writing and a lot of digging. And I finally said, I'm going to meet someone who doesn't need me, but wants to be with me. And when, would you like me to share the moment that she showed up? No, you're not allowed to share. This podcast isn't about. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You have to. We have so much to say though. I love everything you just said, but yes, tell me. In... January of 2007, of course, I'm very big on visualization and vision board as a goal-setting tool. I created a vision board for that year. And that was the year I just said, I'm going to find her. And I had a picture of a couple standing at the railing of a ship at sunset, walking hand in hand on the beach, uh, a gentleman piggybacking his girlfriend or wife through a brook so she doesn't get wet. And they were laughing. And I said, I want to create a joyful relationship with somebody who's playful, fun, but I get to share these great quiet moments with. And that was in January of 07. Early June 2007, I wrote in my journal, I am ready to fall in love. And 10 days later, I got an email, which I thought was spam. I almost deleted it and I opened it the next day. And it turned out to be from a woman I'd gone to high school with and hadn't talked to in 21 years. And she said, hey, I saw your name on classmates.org, whatever it is. I live in Florida now and maybe we should stay in touch. And so I answered back. She sent me her phone number. I called her. And four weeks later, sight unseen, not even a photograph, I remembered how much of a crush I had had on her in high school and how I felt about her. So the little flirting, you know, you married? No, I used to be. You? No, I used to be. Kids? No. Kids? No. And we just started to kind of have conversations like we had in high school. And I just really, it made me feel great because she was such a great friend in high school. Mm. And during the fourth week, she sent me a text. Can I tell you something if you promise not to freak out? And I said, okay. And she typed back, here's how I really felt about you in high school. Here's how I felt when I saw your name online, when I heard your voice. And right now, she said, I'm in love with you. In my head, it just blew up. And I thought of the pictures standing at the railing of the ship. I'm just this beautiful connection. And this June will be our 13th anniversary. Mm, First off, this is the greatest ad for classmates.org or .com or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, really, I should sign an affiliate deal. Sponsored by mm-hmm. my first sponsorship. Okay, so what did you feel, though, having a woman that was a complete initiator? You know, so many women wait on the sidelines or they will not say, I love you first. As a man, what did it feel like to have someone that was doing that? It was a first. 
for me. And, I, and I've had a few people ask me that. Did it freak you out? Did it make you want to run? Did it, you know what it did? It made me realize that she had shown up. I got exactly what I was looking for and all the work I was doing from the heartbreak part to be ready for the right connection to come along. And it was, it was effortless. Yes. It was. Didn't get freaked out. Didn't want to run. I still didn't even know what she looked like after 21 years, not even a photograph. So I got to fall in love. Talk about coming from a, a damaged place of heartbreak and breakup to a point of just saying, this is right. This is just perfect. And eyes closed, heart wide open because of all the work I had done to recover from the heartbreak era to not repeat it again, became the exact person I knew I needed to be. And then she showed up when I was ready. I can't even explain how or why. I just know that. And I, and I tell her this often. If you ever end our relationship, you are going to demolish my speaking career. This is your Oprah story. That's hysterical. Um, people ask me like why I fell for some of my last relationships. They were both people that had ridden me. And I never saw them as well. Like until I met them, I hadn't seen a photo. And like, it just doesn't happen that way nowadays. People leave mm. on these apps with the photographs. And it's so, oh, it's such a different moment to fall in love with someone's words and through their voice and to not see them first. Mm. Yeah. And with Tina, it's just been this energy and vibe and just hearing her voice and, and just remembering even how, how funny she was in high school, because I've, I've been a stand-up comedian. I've been on the radio. Humor is part of everything for me. And the day that I called her for the first time, which was three days after her initial email, first words out of her mouth that I hear in 21 years, it's about time you call. Oh my God. And I just busted out God. laughing. I, it was, it was as though the 21 years had never passed. And it was actually better than when we were in high school because, of course, emotionally, I wasn't where I am now. And I love all the sweet little things. I love leaving notes for her. I love remembering we have three anniversaries. We have the email anniversary. We have the Wi-Fi anniversary, which is when she said she loved me, which, of course, I answered the same thing. I felt the same way. And then we have the first time I saw you in 21 years anniversary, which happened a month after that. Mm. So, And she always says, because I remember all these things. She goes, you realize you're the chick in this relationship, right? She turns you into the chick, man. That's the love. But I love being that part of it because our energies balance perfectly because she always says, I don't remember any of that. Right. But she remembered enough to send me the first email. That's all that matters. She remembered enough. That's it. Wow. That's it. And to be willing to, you know, once you've done the work on yourself after a breakup and become a different or better or improved or adjusted person or more educated, whatever you want to call it, it's easier to recognize the right things mm. and, and not act out of desperation. Because some people say, I don't like being alone. I need to be in a relationship. And that's a dangerous path to walk. You run the risk of just looping around every time. And not finding your happiness or, or even knowing what happiness really is. Because you may just think after two, three, four, 18 times that that's all you deserve. It shouldn't be like that. Mm. I think people need to, to honor themselves a lot more than many people are doing. I love the words you're using, honoring, and the desperate attempt to be in connection with someone. I also love that I'm talking to someone that spent almost two years single after they broke up. Mm. Talk to me about that. 
Did you ever feel like, oh my God, after this divorce, I need to show that I can fall back in love? Was that voice ever in your head or did anyone ever say that to you to kind of pressure you into getting Mm. on the single bus or whatever? No, actually not really. I was, uh, at at the time of my divorce, in in that very short window of time, I ended my 10-year radio career because I was absolutely fried and got a divorce and was nearly broke and crawled home to live with family because I just built a recording studio in an office at my dad's home. So he said, why are you looking for a place? Come on up here, hang here as long as you need to. And it allowed me to plug in to a healthy situation versus being in a cold apartment alone for two years. So I was in a, in a good positive environment and my dad's health had started to go downhill shortly after. And I started taking care of a lot of the physical work there. So I had the benefit of being in a positive, supportive place that not everybody gets and to have a positive, supportive family and friends. So I was kind of starting from zero career-wise, relationship-wise, just sitting there in the ashes of it all. And so creating a speaking career and recreating myself for a relationship, there weren't too many more ways I could wreck my life in the moment. But I feel like it was perfect for you because like you're all about that vision board. You had a blank slate. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually the year that I first learned about vision boards. I I'd started having conversations with a brand new life coach. I think I was his first client who's a husband of a friend of mine. And he just started saying, well, have you ever heard of the secret? Mm. No. You ever heard of vision boards? What? No. So we started having these conversations and he was talking about, here's the relationship that just ended. What do you want the next one to be? And I, I thought healthier, um, right. better, <gasps> happier more communicative because that was my biggest issue was just, I shut down. I wouldn't communicate if anything would bother me. And so he just started asking me these questions and I started to learn about visualizing. And and with that came honoring myself because I wanted to see myself happy as it wasn't just putting a picture of a woman on the vision board. It was couples enjoying the type of relationship I wanted to enjoy. What's the difference between putting a picture of an individual between like a couple? How did that translate differently? It's the relationship. It's the expectation of what it would be like to be with this person mm-hmm. and to see both people enjoying time together at the railing of a ship at sunset, which we've done twice. Walking hand in hand on the beach, which we've done numerous times. So it wasn't just, oh, she's beautiful. I want to be with her. It's seeing mm-hmm. the exact situation. Look, two happy people who look like they're in love. That's what I want. Mm. Not just, you know, too many people these days just see all the airbrushed, you know, Barbie dolls in the magazines and people go, oh, I'd love to be in a relationship with that person. Well, if you're just looking at the outside, that's different because you don't know that person's wiring. You don't know that person's uh, character, integrity, ethics, morals, whatever. I just started create, using visualizing as creating situations. I want to be half of this happy couple right here. That's what I was after. Mm. I wanted the end result, not just what somebody looks like. And you knew, again, it was like more of like this project that you could be working on, like how to get yourself into that dynamic, not just looking for it and reaching for it, but knowing that you had to become the other half of that, like you're saying. Mm. And it's like people too, they say, well, I'm, I'm looking for my next relationship. Well, what are you looking for? Well, I want somebody who's nice, who's patient, who's kind, who's giving, who's loving, who's family oriented. Well, great. Where are you looking? I've been at the bar every night for a month. (gasps) 
And I used to say, I'm like, okay, not that nice people don't go to bars because they can, but when it's last call or it's one or two in the morning and you're just looking around for what's left still standing, that's a little different (laughs) than what you're saying you're looking for in a relationship. So I encourage people, all right, who's the person you wish to be with in a relationship? What type of person? What are they like? What do they like? Where do you think that person would hang out? Be there you may strike up a great conversation. You may see someone, you may see somebody you admire how they carry themselves or their confidence or their integrity or their actions and words. That's a better place. And that's why I wanted to create the full-on vision Mm. of what I was looking for and not just find someone who is attractive who I might want to be in a relationship with. I created the situation in my mind and my heart first. Mm. And then when that energy showed up, I thought, I, I mean, I just knew I knew right away that we were it and it was just going to be forever. Mm. And she felt the same way because we started to use that energy for her to come back from Florida within six months. She created a scenario. She goes, I want to be up back in New England with you. And three weeks later, her company reached out to her and said, Hey, we created a job up in New England. We'll pay for your move. We'll sell your condo and we'll. Not true. Yeah, it's true. What? Yeah. Oh my God. A month after she told me, I really want to come back, but I've been with my company a while and I don't want to quit my job. Out of the blue came an opportunity to transfer her up to New England. Now it was two and a half hours from where I lived, but I could still drive up on the weekends when I wasn't working and be with her. And then when she said, I really just want us to be together, another opportunity came up that allowed her to work from home. Now she had to travel a week or two per month, but we've gotten to live together and now we bought a house and I'm in the recording studio at our house and all of these things, because she said the scenario she wanted and how she wanted it to work. And not that it was just given to her, but the opportunities came up. Right. And there were steps along the way that got her closer each yeah. time she's closer. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And she used to ask me because she's got this great sarcastic eye rolling sense of humor. She'd say, is that that whole law of attraction thing that you talk about all the time? <laughs> like people pay you to come talk about this and we're just making it happen. I'm like, yeah. Wow. Pretty much it. It's just this energy. And if you're not shut off to it, you'll at least see the opportunity. It's it's not like a genie in a lamp, but your your antennae at least catch the opportunities. And that's why I tell people if you're going through that heartbreak, that breakup from whatever situation has got you down, think of how you want to feel every day. Mm. What emotions you want to feel, what situations you want to be in, what type of people you want to be around, and start leaning towards that. And when they show up, don't be afraid or don't feel you don't deserve it. Explore it with a cup of coffee or a kind word or some communication or, you know, a group activity, a group of volunteers going out somewhere. If that's the type of people you want to be around, start immersing yourself in it and and test driving. What if? Ah, test driving. What if? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Got that lesson from Jack Canfield, who I adore. Yeah. So good. Um, Tell me about how you started immersing yourself in the what if of a new career. I can actually tell you the exact moment when that happens. Uh, Not everybody has the moment. I have the moment. Mm. It was August, 2003, up here in New England. You really have the moment. You have the date, you have it all. I, I know everything. It was August of 2003. It was about six months after the divorce and about a year or so after quitting radio and I was up at living at dad's, just really not happy with myself for the situation I put myself in. Mm. 
self-deprecation to me at the time was like a recreational sport. I just took shots every day at myself. And so I went to a golf driving range. So I'm a horrible golfer. Safest place for you to stand is right in front of me because I hit <laughs> every other, everywhere but straight. Yeah. But I would love to go to the driving range just because it was a great way to get out frustrations. You can just, you can hit a golf ball as hard as you want and you're not going to hurt anybody. So I went to the tee box way, way, way down at the end of this property at the last tee box. And it was under some power lines uh, in a town right near where we live now. And I'm just hitting them, hitting them, hitting them, hitting them, just frustrated, but getting out that angst. And then a thunderstorm started because it was a really humid, muggy afternoon. And so I'm standing barefoot in the wet grass under power lines, hitting golf balls. Two gentlemen that were near me ran for their cars when the first big crack of thunder and lightning came. And I just stayed and I just took the club and I swung it and not being angry or whatever, but I just looked up and I go, go ahead. I dare you to hit me and didn't get hit. So I hit all my golf balls, hit all the golf balls of the other two gentlemen who had been there could barely lift my arms. And when I got to my car, the sun came out and I just started laughing and I shook my head. I'm like, you're just messing with me now. And the next day I was on the phone with my brand new life coach. And he said, so how was this week? And I told him the story of the driving range. And he was laughing so hard on the other end of the phone because the way I retold it, it was just comedy of errors and laughing. And he said, I got two questions for you. Are you this open and honest and, and transparent about your life with everybody? And I said, yeah. Do so you ever thought of becoming a stand-up comedian or a motivational speaker? I think you'd enjoy them both. Mm. And I had wanted for years to have the guts to get up on a stage. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher, but not a classroom teacher. I wanted to teach other people stuff and tell stories and do all that. And in that one question, I said yes to both. Three weeks later, I took my first intro to stand-up comedy class in a month and a half later, I went to my first Toastmasters meeting. Oh, and within wow. a year, I'd gotten paid to speak for the first time, and I'm 16 years in. Wow. I mean, what a dream. What a yeah. dream. Yeah. But it took someone asking me that question of, could you see yourself doing this? And as soon as he said it, he even told me after, he said, after that conversation, he goes, you changed your energy, and you just started to become as if, yeah. started to become all this stuff. and. Is that's where I saw the shift in you going from that really down place to I get electrocuted. The, uh, daring God to hit me, which yeah. I still have that golf club. Nice. I bring it on stage. Is it sometimes. hanging? It needs to no, be it's it's in the hanging. it's in the closet. <laughs> oh so, but it's I totally get it about being asked the right question. I mm. mean, as a coach, you're trained to do that. And you could have that like resounding moment. But yeah. what is it about you that took that and ran with it, that didn't wait another year, that did it the next month? I love to make people laugh, and I love to cheer people on, and I love to build people up. And I've, I've been doing it my whole life. I just never realized that there was actually a way to do that as a career, that it was real. But when he asked it, and he said, I think you'd be really good at it. It was almost the validation because I was just so down on myself at the time. When you were sitting in the ashes, it, it can be tough to, you know, people always think that the clouds part like in the movie and, you know, the angels. Oh, wait, they did and it? the music comes there up. There no angels? No, there were no angels. And people say, you're like a phoenix rising from the ashes. And I go, look, dude, my phoenix rides a 
pogo stick. That is the yeah. only way I can describe the following decade. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody believes you can be good at something doesn't mean you're going to and all of a sudden redemption is is in the cards. I mean, I've I've made so many more mistakes in my speaking career and, and everything else. I, I did stand up for seven years. I've been speaking for 16. I've published uh, four books so far. But I still have made plenty of mistakes along the way, which what do they do? They give me stories of how a regular everyday person who's following his dreams sometimes stumbles. And I've had heartbreak in the speaking career. Right. But yet now it all becomes, all right, this doesn't feel good. How do I want to feel? Then I go create those situations. So it's, it's just gotten better. I've, been, I've spoken at both ends of the country, and that's a great fun thing. And I've, I've created programs that people around the world are listening to and learning from and improving their lives with. And that goes back to me wanting to be a teacher. Yeah, totally. And when I see other people doing it, that's what makes me happy. What's so great about it is that you saw yourself enough to know that you didn't want to be a high school teacher. Like you got more specific with yourself. Mm. That's why every, every speaking event, wherever I am, and, and people say, oh, I've gotten 500 standing ovations. Well, if that's what you're after, great. I said, I, I love it when people up front clap and cheer and laugh and connect and, and, you know, thumbs up and all that. See, you know who I'm trying to get to? I'm trying to get to the person who sits way in the back, mm. who's in the shadows, who leaned against the wall at every high school dance but never danced, wow. who may have sat in their car for 20 minutes afraid to come in late and be embarrassed, who may have been crying in the car, who never took a note, who never said a word, never raised their hand, never even made eye contact. I said, that's who I have to teach something better about themselves to because that used to be me. Even when I'm on an interview, having a conversation with you, someone in your audience, I have to say something that's going to help them wake up tomorrow, think one more positive thought, especially about themselves, say one more kind word, take one more positive action. That's my why. It's because I had people believe in me along the way. So did you feel like the underdog in life? Oh, yeah, because I put myself there. Yeah. I just always felt I wasn't good enough for whatever I was trying to do at the time because I was always trying to be when I wanted to be a speaker. Somebody said, oh, you're going to be the next Tony Robbins? I thought, God, no. We already have a Tony Robbins. I love a lot of what Tony does. I don't as much these days. My style doesn't resonate with what he's doing, but I don't have to be him. I'm just me. And when I finally figured out who me was as a speaker, as a writer, as a human being, uh, as a husband, it got easier because I didn't have to play by anybody else's rules. I just get up every day and whatever came out, came out. As long as it was in accordance with my integrity and my wiring and my ethics, my morals and, and my style. I think that you're right. The pressure to be more like someone else is what trips us up, what mm. prevents us from, from showing up. We can embrace more of our own idiosyncrasies and all that, then it makes mm. it, yeah, just it makes it easier to create a momentum within ourselves. Yeah. I, I think the day that I learned to look in my mirror and give myself a thumbs up instead of the finger was probably a really good start. Mm. Instead of just looking in the mirror and saying, man, you have screwed your life up. Wow. Chucked your career. I didn't tell my first wife that I was quitting my job until I did. That led to our divorce. And of course, almost bankrupt and having to move home with family. According to an old journal entry, that phase of my life, I called myself uh, Hurricane Knucklehead Category 5 because I just demolished everything. I mean, I was just hateful to myself. 
mm. at the time. But then when the little positive, you know, sparks and hints and visualizing something better versus as somebody said the phrase marinating in your misery, mm. something good would happen and somebody would say thank you after a speaking event, even the early ones, which were terrible. Oh, thank you. How'd you know I needed to hear that today? And I'd go to my mirror and said, we helped someone today. Wow. And then the little, the little engine that could, you know, like an old wooden roller coaster, click, 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 all those little clicks, you don't get any faster, but you get closer to something good. That's one of my central stories is life's like an old wooden roller coaster, but you have to, you have to do all those little things to be able to go over the top and then enjoy, you know, there's no quick fixes. It's all these little, little things. I write a lot. I keep a gratitude journal. I, I still create vision boards every year for myself. Even after getting the woman, getting the relationship and still having the career, you still do the envisioning. Oh yeah. 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 Every year. What was it about where you were at that time that you didn't feel like you could tell your wife you were going to quit the job? I didn't want her to talk me out of it. Because mm, yeah. I was, uh, I worked about 15 years worth of hours in 10. It was an hour and 10 minute drive each way every day to work. And I was just starting to stay over at work two nights a week, sleeping on my boss's couch. So we communicated less and less and less and less. I tried to be as much of a glass half full person. Her natural style was a bit more glass half empty. So we butted heads on that. We just grew apart. I mean, it was, there was no, one monumental thing, we just grew apart so far that we couldn't talk to each other anymore. Was that even more heartbreaking than one thing, one catastrophe was like the slow crawl away from each other? Looking back, it, it was uncomfortable, but it didn't seem bad mm -hmm. at the time. When you're in the middle of it, it's just, well, this is what I'm doing to protect myself. Well, this is what I'm doing to protect myself. And we just grew apart. And one day it just came to a head of us saying, well, what's wrong here? And then we just started lobbing some grenades at each other. And then it was suggested that we take a break. And it was suggested that I move out for a bit because I had somewhere to go and she didn't. And I just, a little voice in my head said, just, just get out and don't come back. Mm. And we, of course, communicated even less. So then there's that uncomfortable canyon of nothing in between. And looking back, could we have salvaged things? Probably, but neither one of us wanted to budge. Right, and it's an interesting thing to say, to, to know that you probably could have salvaged it, and you're saying that in a position where you're in love right now. Yeah. So I imagine like there's gratitude that you didn't salvage it. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Some people stay together for the wrong reasons. As it turned out, we weren't a great match because the early stages of that relationship were... Let me rescue this person who just had a five-year bad relationship. And maybe that wasn't the best time for the two of us to be together. Right. Because totally. that was the last person I tried to rescue. Oh, and tell me what she said when you were with the therapist or the counselor. Mm. Yeah, I brought up, of course, the first session was, here's why Steve's a jerk. So the second session, I said, I'd like to start with something. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay. I said, of course, there was some arrogance and, and hurt at the time where these words were coming from. Now, I would probably never say these. So I'm sick and tired of being made to feel like I have to pay for everything everyone else did to abuse her emotionally. Yeah. Saying it now, I can't believe I actually said it. It's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it seems like a fair thing to say, but sure. Well, 
I guess it's insensitive. It was, it was more me talking out of, oh, you hurt me last week? It's on. So I said, I'm sick and tired of it. And she was in a, you know, in an abusive relationship. This person really was a jerk to her and I'm sick and tired of paying for it. And she asked my ex-wife, is there some truth to that? And she says, yeah, probably. And she said, well, I think then maybe we should have some time together, the two of us to work through that. And she said, absolutely not. Mm. And the voice in my head said, we're done because there was no, there was no effort or recognition that there could be something better. It's just here's where I'm at. I just want to stay there. Right. And I felt like when I was reading that, it was you saying that, sorry to cut you off, but that like, mm-hmm. if, if she won't say yes to a therapist, an outside person, like a, a specialist, an expert helping her through it, why would she ever say yes to new love coming you into her life, trying to help and save her? She was never available to like the resource that you were handing over, which was helping. Mm. You know, and, and she may have just been very, very scared of what might come out. I mean, totally. looking back now is different from then. You know, now I, I actually feel really bad yeah. that she never had anybody reach out to her to hopefully help her find something better. And we've had v- virtually no communication since. But I do hope that she she has found someone, you know, to to help create some happiness and make her feel like she's worthy of it. Right. You hope that she's come to some resolution. Yeah, I hope so. How long were you guys married? Seven years. That's a substantial amount of time. Seven years living Mm. a life with someone, maybe a few days on your boss's couch, but together and then not speaking to them at all. It's actually easier for me. Uh, It would be different if we'd had kids. Obviously, that's, that's a different scenario. It's just been easy for me because I, I generally don't want to revisit uh, or be reminded of times like that if I don't have to be. Mm. So it actually wasn't bad. I, I went to the funerals of both of her parents who passed away a few years after uh, we split up. But other than that, there's been zero communication and, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. But that's yeah. huge of you to have gone to the funerals. I was super close with her family and both her parents and, and we got along great. And they never shut me out. I mean, I, I'm still close with a couple members of her family that still call me, uh, you know, Uncle Steve, a couple of my nieces. And I, I used to feel really bad. I, I, I remember saying, apologizing to one of them one time, you know, Uncle Steve feels really bad that I wasn't around yeah. to, to be around you guys when you grew up. And, you know, they're, they're fine with it. And they, we reach out on each other's birthdays and stuff. But other than that, it's pretty much been, you know, here's where my life went. And I just went in a, in a better, healthier path for me. Yeah. And probably collectively, you know, like you said, it could have been salvaged, but to be in a marriage where you guys were not communicating and your world's apart, you know, that wouldn't have been good for anyone, for her family, you know, to be, to be a witness to that would have been difficult even. Yeah. But you know, it's taking off one suit and designing your next one is, is kind of, and and the next one is going to fit better because you, all of a sudden you, you know more about yourself. Well, my shoulders are this wide. Why was I? Like this for so long. And You're so good with the analogy. With the, yeah, but it's it's honoring yourself to know that you deserve something better than what you've put yourself into. Not what someone else did to you, but that you didn't share your, your authentic, unique voice about who you wanted to be in a relationship and you just kind of put yourself in this little box and it gets stifling after a while. And if you don't work together to make it better, you can wind up on the front porch at 90 years old, all hunched over, wondering what happened to your oh. life. 
I like that you take responsibility for that, that you didn't make it clear who, who and what you wanted to be in a relationship. Mm. Most of my, my teens, 20s, and probably even my early 30s didn't really honor myself very much. I mean, it's one thing to be self-deprecating, but when you really believe it at the core, mm. it's really not a good thing. It's like the clown working at the circus all day, taking pies to the face and falling down and everybody laughs. But when all the lights are, are shut off and the clown's walking home alone in the dark crying, that's not a really good way to, to go through life if you don't think you deserve anything better than that. Sounds like the Joker. Yeah. I mean, I love stories. You can already tell I'm a storyteller and analogies and all that. Uh, I love to see even the villains. I love to see, well, what happened to them in their life to get them there? Did they want something different? Did they just feel that that's all they were worthy of? I was blessed with family, I've got to say. My parents divorced when I was 22, when I graduated college, but they both remarried amazing people. So it's at least with the family thing, I've been just blessed I'm so more than anybody could ask for. Like, it's amazing for you to say that you saw them remarry amazing people. I've mm-hmm. always wondered, was it difficult seeing your dad with someone new and being affectionate and loving and having this belief about the two of them that wasn't your mother? Was that difficult and vice versa? At first it was because here's, you know, I was 22 years old. I was, uh, I had a girlfriend. We'd been dating for a couple of years. So at the point where I'm supposed to be going off in my early 20s, being this responsible, starting my own life, all of a sudden both parents need me more than ever. Mm. And not that they were really vicious, but the energy really wasn't good between both camps at the time, obviously. That part of it was really difficult. Not that I, was, I wasn't set up to each one venting at me, but I just thought, oh my gosh, here's these role models for relationships and they just blew up. Mm. So who am I in a relationship? And I, am I destined to follow that too? Am I not a good person or whatever? There's just so much going and a lack of self-confidence at the time, too, and self-esteem didn't help. And all of that together made for a really insecure, that relationship from my early 20s ended shortly after because I just, through whatever lack of attention, just blew it up. Yeah. And, and just, it was just adrift emotionally for a while. Right. And what, you know, wasn't really good for anybody or, or to myself even yeah. emotionally. Funny now, looking back, I'm in my early 50s now, looking back 30 years going, just your typical teenager, early 20-something who just isn't quite sure what they want out of life yet. So, Your stories about this, you know, that people outwrite me, and females especially, reading, rereading one last night, it was like this woman that couldn't believe, she thought it was an excuse that the boyfriend was saying that his family's, you know, had divorced, he had never seen real signs of love, all this stuff, and she thought it was an excuse. I'm like, I think that this is a legitimate fear, a legitimate reason so it's interesting to hear you reflect about like your 20-year-old self and knowing that you were adrift and like you could see that you're that you're being pulled in different directions like what could you give and i wonder at the time like was the girlfriend really aware and was there a level of compassion for what you were going through i think sometimes we just think that everyone should be choosing us and if they loved us enough they would choose us and, they, and we just don't realize how torn people are in their own lives and they don't even know how to show up for themselves. Um, and it's really a selfish request for someone to be able to extend so much of themselves to a relationship. Yeah. And she was a child of divorce as well and had some little bits of estrangement within her own family at times. So looking back, she was equally struggling. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet, you know, she's looking for that 
relationship to, to believe in. I'm looking for that thing and we're both just sabotaging it at every turn. <laughs> you know, looking back now, I just, I, you know, I, I would take that version of myself and, and do a guy thing, put him in a headlock and give him a head noogie and go, come on, you big dummy. You'll figure this out. Just, really? Just really give just yourself guy a guy things. Yeah. <laughs> figure it out. Yep. Just don't think you've got to change in, in a day. And then when it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. don't think you're a failure. This I worked, like I said, for a year to two years after my divorce of just who do I want to be? How do I want to be in a relationship? What am I looking for in a relationship? Not just not just a pretty face or somebody to, you know, to catch my eye. Yeah. But, you know, that's the beauty of Tina and I. I mean, a, a month worth of communication without even a picture of her. She didn't have a social media footprint anywhere. You couldn't Google her and find a picture of her. And she sent me a message. She goes, I Googled you. There's like 10 pages of stuff. I said, I've been busy. Yeah. Said, yeah, but it's all positive. I said, well, I'm trying to be a positive person. Yeah, no mugshots, not 10 pages. Worth no mugshots. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Do you remember sitting down at a table with your dad when you were living with him and kind of going over like who you were imagining you could be? Did you guys have those sort of conversations? My dad and I were super close. I, I just lost him about 16 months ago. We were super, super, super close. But it was a guy relationship. We'd sit around, we'd tell jokes, we'd laugh, we'd listen to oldies music, and we did a lot of carpentry together. He was a carpenter. So if he knew I was down, he would just make me laugh, and he would just say, things okay? I'm like, yeah, things are okay. But we, we never actually said the words, but there were, you know, it wasn't like it was a Hallmark card moment of, son, I think we need to have this conversation. He supported me at every turn. He was my biggest fan oh. uh, when I became a speaker, building my recording studio. And he just loved that stuff. And if you recall the Geico commercial that came out a couple of years ago with Pinocchio, saying mm-hmm. Pinocchio would have been a horrible motivational speaker. He would say, you've got potential. And his nose would grow. He'd be a failed motivational speaker. It was my dad's favorite commercial. But he loved, he didn't always understand what I do as a speaker or even at first, people pay you to tell your story. And he goes, you're living at my house because your life fell apart, but now people pay you to tell that story. Totally. Typical yeah. dad. <laughs> <laughs> the same dad who in high school, when I rewrote the entire lyrics of Stairway to Heaven about my biology teacher, I handed him a stack of papers and he thought it was my homework. And he looked at it and he just kind of, <laughs> if you put as much effort into your homework as you do with this being funny stuff. And years later, I'd say, remember when you used to, you know, give me attitude about doing funny stuff. He goes, yeah, I know, but I had to do the dad thing and tell you to be smart and work hard and get a good job. And he says, I know the the advice I gave you isn't true anymore. Stay with the same company 30 years with your head down, retire and be happy with that. He says, you're not like that. He says, I love that you're, you do stuff that makes you happy. And he goes, and I hear other people say how happy you make them. And, and he loved it. Wow. What a big thing for a parent to see. You know, to kind of outgrow their own ideas of how an adult should be. Like you said, like 30 years at the same place and you get so fixed in your mind that that's what success, that that's what a good father raises. Mm -hmm. And then for him to back away and be like, wow, I've, I've re-seen this, that you make other people happy, that people are showing up just to hear you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he loved that. And he would, his, his favorite joke that I used to always tell is, because uh, I would tell people, I said, look, you don't have to go to the most prestigious. You don't have to be the best. I said, I graduated college by 62 one thousandths of a point. Mm. 
<laughs> I had to drive to the school the day before graduation to see if I was actually invited. I told my dad, I said, remember when I graduated, summa come this close? And that was his <laughs> favorite joke. And he would ask me after every event, did you tell my joke? Did you tell my joke? Yeah, dad, I told you a joke. Did they laugh? Yeah, they laughed. But now I think of them every time I tell that story on stage. So it's, you know, it's all good. Yeah, that's so special. He must love the fact that he was the place that you got to go to, that like you reshaped your life at his home. Mm -hmm. None of this would be happening if, if I didn't land there. Yeah. It just wouldn't have. Because I'm my own worst enemy when I'm alone. Mm. And, I, and I landed in a, in a nurturing place. Now, my life was a mess. But I landed in a place where I could put it back together safely. And that was huge. And not that we sat around talking about things, but just, just being there. And they acknowledged, hey, this kid really needs, just, he just needs a place to put it all back together. Yeah, like the energy, it, it goes to yeah. show that it doesn't have to be the words. It was just the feeling that you had inside their home that got you waking up each morning to piece it back together gradually. Yep. You're not the first. You're not the first man that has come on that, like after his marriage, had to go back and live with his dad. Mm. Yeah, and as it turned out, because his health had started to decline, my stepmom used to tell me, because I would, I would sit there, I'd lean against the, the island in the kitchen. And if I was leaning there, it meant I felt like talking. Mm. So she'd be making dinner and she'd say, so what's going on? And I always called her the counselor because she said, really? you okay with living here? And I yeah. said, I feel like I'm at camp. And the name of the town is Dunbarton. I said, it's, it's like Camp Dunbarton and you're the camp counselor. And so I still call her the counselor. I haven't used her real name in years. And she would know that if I was leaning there, we'd just have a conversation. I said, you know, I feel like the biggest leech in the world living here. Mm. And she put down the wooden spoon where any other mom would have picked one up. And she said, look. She says, I would never say this in front of your dad, but if you weren't here, we would have had to sell this house by now. Oh. And your dad built this house. And she said, it would break his heart. So you stay here as long as you need to. Oh, that's so sweet. That's and so sweet. I wound up there for close to 10 years. And, really? and um, you know, we, we bought a house, Tina and I bought a house eight miles from there. So although he's not there anymore, I'm still taking care of the driveway, the lawn, the yard, the repairs, so there. all the stuff. And you so, still and, talk to your stepmom? Oh gosh, we're, we're best friends. Really? And she and my mom are best friends. You no want to talk way. about a, a crazy thing that happened that took years to happen, but dad and stepmom invited my mom and her husband for a barbecue. Now this is about 10, 12 years ago now, 20 years after the divorce. And so my mom and her husband in there, and you know, it's, it's good. But we just needed that galvanizing moment to know that the healing was, was set. And they're both in good places, and, and that's great. My father said, hey, uh, I want to talk about a divorce agreement. And she looks at him. She goes, we've been divorced over 20 years. He goes, yeah. How the hell did I get full custody of this one? Oh my and he God. puts his thumb at me, and we <gasps> just roared laughing. That was the moment that everyone was healed and everything was good. It was a great moment, and my mom and stepmom have been dear friends ever since. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're called Lucy and Ethel because they're, they're just such best friends that that's their nickname is Lucy and Ethel. God. So, something I never thought would happen, and it did. And, and I was, and, it was just so great that a joke and humor got to be a part of it. Yeah, I feel like you being there. I yeah. mean, I wonder if that never would have happened if it hadn't been for you moving in. And Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. You know, it's it's not all sunshine and roses. Sometimes, some, you know, said the fertilizer. 
Yeah, there you go. Some of the stinkiest stuff grows the most beautiful roses. So. so I coined this word break upward, and I'm curious what that word might mean to you. As soon as you said it, and, and I've seen it, of course, in our correspondence, it's like an egg cracking and something flies out. It's reaching another level from wherever you're at, you know, creating that fault or that egg that breaks and then something beautiful comes out and, and grows mm. in a really good way or flies partway up a mountain and sits on the edge of a cliff and says, well, the view's better from here. Oh, I love that. Glad I get out of there. The view. I, I think about how, for me, so much of it is like a higher perspective, you mm. know, just the way that you consider your life. And like you said, like it's a viewpoint as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all climbing somewhere. Some people say they want their lives to be better or say they want better relationships and they drive all the way to the mountain and they sit at a rotten picnic table in the parking lot and eat lunch and think that's hiking. Oh my God, well, stop. In full view of the porta potties, you know? Stop. <laughs> so they, they're oh still complaining, but they're saying we want something better, but they aren't willing to ascend. Hike a little. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, and I, I go hiking now and then here in New England, especially in the fall. It's just gorgeous. And there's some easy trails. And I tell people, so look, you don't have to go all the way to the top, but the higher you climb, the better the view is going to be. And what I also discovered is the higher you climb, the cooler the people who cross your path. Maybe they're going up too, and you can hike together. Maybe they're on the way back down saying, hey, when you get to the top, make sure you go to the left because the view there is gorgeous today. Mm. I've just found more people are, are holding their hands out to help you up higher, the higher you go. Thank God for you saying that. You know, people say it's lonely at the top. It's kind of like the line you hear the most. It's yeah. at the top. But yeah, I feel you on the other. Oh, all the people I've surrounded myself now in my business, in my life, my relationships, I've gotten rid of so much of the circle that of people I used to be around all the time because I realized a lot of those relationships weren't serving me. It's not that they were leeches or they were sometimes with their attitudes dragging me down and I tolerated it. And I just thought the day that you look at your caller ID and you go, because <laughs> you just know it's going to be complaining and dragging yeah. down and negative is the day that you start honoring yourself and you let it go to voicemail. Then you delete the voicemail. The greatest weapon in the world is caller ID. Yeah. Because if you honor yourself, you'll say, look, I just don't want this energy in my life. And that day you climb a little higher and higher. And even if you don't go to the top, you sit at the edge of a really cool little ledge with somebody you just met on the trail and you have a sandwich and a great conversation. It's better than the parking lot. Sometimes like those five minute bursts of conversation, sitting with someone and just sharing this moment that you won't see again. I, I feel like that keeps you climbing. Yeah. I have conversations with people all the time like that now. Yeah. Even strangers in a parking lot. You know, I, I love to play shopping cart rodeo. We try to do an act of kindness every day. So you go rescue a carriage from somewhere. Or if you see a mom with kids who's got the kids in the car and they're unloading the carriage from a safe distance, I'll say, excuse me, would you like me to return that carriage for you? Uh. It's never been refused because I, you know, I'll know they'll have their kids and they don't want to leave the car. Or, or if it's a, a, an older person, who might be having a little trouble walking, I'll say from a safe distance and I'll say, just make sure you take your purse out before I get there because we don't want these cameras catching you beating me up in the parking lot. That would be embarrassing. They crack up until you've heard the cackling laugh of an 85-year-old woman who just thought that was the funniest <laughs> thing. And then we have a conversation and I walk away thinking that's the best conversation I had all day. Totally. I feel better. 
you're doing it for someone else, but you're also doing it for yourself. Yeah. That's the greatest side benefit. You know, I never walk up to somebody and say, geez, I really need to feel better today. I think I'll talk to this person. <laughs> it's me wanting to, to just make somebody smile or just look at somebody and say, that is the coolest hat I've seen all day. I could never pull that off. Yes. And then they yeah. you see them stand up a little bit. Their eyes light up. They smile or they laugh and they'll just say, thank you. Mm. We never know what somebody's going through. And if you can just be, you know, it, again, it's breaking upward. It's something I wouldn't have done at my worst time mm. that I learned to do because I learned that it, you know, you think Red Bull gives you wings. Decisions to do stuff like that and, and become the person you want to be, even if you're not quite ready yet. It helps you grow your wings and get a better view around you and climb a little higher. I love that you say that because doing these things more and more and everything that you're just discussing has me reaching for Red Bull less and less. Like I've gone without it for a long time recently. And I think yeah. that you're right. Yeah. Finding the uh, natural way to get you off the ground. Mm. Yeah. I, I get energized throughout the day and I, I'm here in the studio most of the day or my office, which is upstairs. And people have asked do you ever have a bad day? I have plenty of bad days or just, you know, not great days. Or do you ever get in a rut or a funk? Like, yeah, all the time. Just like everybody else. What do you do to get out of it? I said, turn off the lights in my recording studio. And I go into town to the grocery store or the post office or whatever. I said, I do an act of kindness or mm. two or 10, however many it takes. Mm. And every single time I come home better. Mm. Even if it's just one, there was a, a gentleman walking up the sidewalk to the bank a couple of years ago, and they have an, uh, uh, two sets of doors inside ATM lobby. Next set goes to the hallway, which is the bank and the post office. And I saw he had a World War II cap on. And so I held the door and he goes, oh, thank you, young man. It's good to see young people with manners. I was in my late 40s at the time. I go, sir, how old do you think I am? And he goes, younger than me, young fella, younger than me. And he claps me on the shoulder. And I turn around and I'm already beaming. And I was there because it was a bad day. I couldn't pay my bills for something that came in. And a five-year-old kid inside at the ATM lobby opened the inside door for this gentleman. Now, I'm not saying it was because I opened the outside. I'm sure he's just got great parents. But the pride in his mother's eyes, she could not wait to go home and tell his dad, that this gentleman said, you've got a fine young man there that you're raising. Wow. The pride all around, that energy was so much better because it just got acknowledged and it was appreciated and there was gratitude. And this young man got rewarded for doing something good. Mm. And so he grew that day. It, mm. it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. We never know what situation anybody's in from being broken. Anything to raise it like that is only going to serve everybody involved. Mm -hmm. I love that it was this chain of events. You pulled the door open for him. He stopped you and him stopping you got you to see this little boy open it for him. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I, and, and of course, me being the comedian at the time, uh, the gentleman actually gave the little boy a dollar, which was adorable because it was such a, a you know, reinforcement Whatever. Of course, me being the comedian at the time, I looked at him. I said, sir, you realize I held the first door, right? And I just threw <laughs> my hand out and he slapped me five and I slapped him five. And we all walked away in different directions, laughing hysterically. I will never forget it. And that was about six years ago. I love that. Because that day I was in a tough 
broken place. Uh, some clients hadn't paid me the money they owed me, and I was struggling to pay my bills at the time. And that that moment changed, you know, made things better. And you got and, an invisible five from that guy. Exactly. And now I still have that story, which I tell all the time on stage. Yeah. And I get, again, I relive it. I never tell a story. I relive it. And I learned that from a gentleman named James Malinchek, who teaches speakers how to grow their businesses. And I, I invested in a recording of one of his programs. And one of his attendees said that. I never tell a story. I relive it. Mm. And I think that has been one of the things that's changed my life the most. I'm not telling about Tina and I falling in love. I relive it, which puts me in a good place. I don't talk about an act of kindness. I get to relive it, which makes me remember that little boy who held the door. Yeah, I can feel that. And it, it's an amazing gift to yourself. And, and there are certain stories I tell, even all 16 years later, I get goosebumps when I tell it. Mm. And that tells me how far I've come since the day I learned the lesson and how impactful it's been that it happened post breakup, but look at the direction it's taken me. You know, all, all these years later, it still reminds me that I'm in a really good place on purpose because I saw this life, wasn't quite sure how to get to it, but I saw what I wanted and I got everything I asked for and then some. I feel very fortunate to have met you. I feel very fortunate that you answered my email when you asked that simple question. It inspired me to reach out to you. So I'm honored to be here. I love this. Congratulations about your career. It's obvious how good you are at it. Thank you. I'm tremendously honored by that. And in the old days, I would have said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just, blah, blah, blah. thank you. I'll honor you honoring me by just saying thank you. I appreciate that. Just had someone on that he was taught that thank you is enough, that you just say thank you. That's incredible that you just did that. It took me a long time to get there because my old life coach, I'd say, thanks, but really I'm no big, he would go, he'd say, thank you. And that's it. Stop. Stop. He goes, I know what you're doing. You're, you're trying to make it laugh, but you're, you're dishonoring the gift when you belittle yourself that it wasn't worth somebody giving you. So now just say, just say, thank you. Tell my audience where they can find you. You can find me nice and easy. Everything I do is available at motivationalfirewood.com. That's part of my brand. So thank thank you. you so much. Oh, My pleasure. I feel like I've been watching you this whole time. It's so good. Yeah. This conversation has been effortless, which is my favorite way to describe the most perfect and beautiful things in my life. This has been an effortless conversation. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, Com. And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.